Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. I appreciate that you are here. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast or wherever you are watching it and share it with a friend because, you know, it's the gift that keeps on giving, if you ask me. This week, I have Ian Ziskin on the podcast, and I'm really excited to tell you more about Ian. He brings 40 years of experience to his work, serving as a business and HR leader, board advisor, and member, coach, consultant, entrepreneur, teacher, speaker, and author. He is president of the coaching and consulting firm Exec Excel Group, LLC, and the co-founder and partner of Business Insight Group, which is also known as BIG a strategic partnership focused on coaching, leadership development, and HR transformation. Ian is also the co-founder and leader of the Consortium for Change, C4C, a community of coaches and consultants, and co-founder of the Create Project. And Create is spelled C-H-R-E-A-T-E. So of course, the HR has been there, designed to address the future of work and HR. And if that was not enough to get you excited, Ian also um, had a book that came out in June of 2022, and it is called The Secret Sauce for Leading Transformational Change. So Ian, welcome to the podcast. And I have to say, I told you I was going to plug this, and I'm really excited excited to say that you and I went to the same college, not at the same time, but we are both alums and you're from Long Island. My husband's from Long Island. I've spent a lot of time on Long Island. You also lived in Cleveland, which is where I currently live. And I just feel like it's so bizarre that we have all of those similarities, but I'm also so grateful that we, when we first met, we had something exciting and, uh, you know, similar to connect on. So welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you, Tracy. Thanks for the the invite and the plug. Despite all of those common connections that we have, uh, I'm, I'm really honored that you are still willing and wanting to speak <laughs> with me again. So thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, the pleasure is all mine. And I have to say, I remember when um, you and your team first reached out and I, I didn't realize at first that we had these similarities. It was only when we first started to talk to each other and get to know one another um, that, I, that I noticed that. Although if I had done my due diligence in clicking on your LinkedIn profile, I would have seen that we went to the same college, but I digress. The one the really the thing that caught my eye the most was this question around what does pizza have to do with organizational change? Because I'm really curious to know, I love pizza and I love organizational change. So can you walk us through what the heck they have to do with one another? <laughs> sure. Yeah, gl gl glad to do it. Uh, maybe I'll just take half a step back in terms of this, uh, the book that you were nice enough to refer to. Uh, sure. The secret sauce for leading transformational change. Uh, when we put that together, uh, fundamentally, we were trying to answer uh, a series of questions, only one of which was, what does pizza have to do with leading transformational change? We're also trying to get our arms around uh, other issues like uh, what do leaders who successfully drive transformational change actually do? Uh, mm. Or another question that seemed pretty relevant was, 
you know, why do we so often fail to uh, successfully lead transformational change? Uh, we also had a hypothesis we were trying to explore, which goes something like this. All transformation is change, but is all change transformational? Uh, and it turns out the answer to that is, is no. Uh, and a series of other questions as well. And the, the analogy around pizza really started to capture my attention right from the very beginning. So here's a, a little bit of a history lesson that I picked up. I'll share with uh, with your audience, if you go back to uh, the year 997 AD in a place called Gaeta, Italy, that's where pizza was first thought to be invented. Uh, and now we fast forward, obviously, over many, many years since uh, pizza has now become about a $150 billion global wow. industry. Uh, and, you know, as part of my own research on this, uh, I, I mistakenly believed that uh, on a per capita basis, the United States would obviously be the leader in the world in per capita pizza consumption. Turns out I was completely wrong about that. Uh, the, the leading country uh, in per capita pizza consumption is Norway. And hmm. uh, I've been to Norway a number of times and always randomly noticed a lot of pizza places uh, on the streets walking around, but that was not a very scientific analysis. Mm -hmm. uh, so now, you know, you're looking at this, this industry that's been around for a really long time uh, and this food that's been around for a really long time and something fascinating has happened. And that is if you look at shapes, sizes, toppings, cheeses, crusts, various ways of preparing pizza, various uh, access outlets from which you can get pizza. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, a wide variety of secret sauces that people are using for their various pizza recipes and preparations. Uh, all of that has morphed rather substantially over the years, all in the name of trying to reimagine reinvent and reposition pizza and the the pizza analogy as i like to call it uh to leading transformational change is so much about big change is also about reimagining reinventing and repositioning things and getting as far away as you possibly can from over relying on traditions or the things that have been around for a long time uh, and the things that make us comfortable because we're used to them. And so, you know, as, as your, your audience is thinking about, you know, their particular role in, in being part of transformational change, whether they're leading it or whether they're being affected by it, one underlying principle I think that came out uh, in many ways in putting this book together was the idea of, uh, you know, question uh, everything uh, but also have confidence in yourself to reposition things. One of my favorite quotes related to all of this uh, is believe in yourself. If cauliflower can become pizza, you can become anything. Uh, <laughs> and that, that really has, has kind of been an inspiration in some ways for uh, the work we did on this book. Wow. I really am so glad that you took us through that journey because you know, you're sharing all of this about transformational change. And 
And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, there are potentially listeners out there who have not had the opportunity to even really begin the journey and experiencing this throughout their career. So maybe we take it even further back. What is transformational change? Like when when we talk about transformational change, what does that refer to? Who does it refer to? Who does it impact? And all of the above. And I know that in your book, you you uh, brought in a lot of voices on this book. So I'm sure that there are a lot of thoughts behind this, too. Yeah. So first of all, you know, we've we've become fond of referring to the book as 200 voices in under 200 pages. Mm. Uh, and the reason for that is in as the lead author of the book, I, I've tried to create this environment where there are a lot of diverse perspectives and voices related to transformational change and what does it take to succeed, but also try to be uh, succinct enough, I guess you could say, uh, in describing what we learned literally in under 200 pages, uh, as, mm. as our publisher and lots of other people may know, it's getting harder and harder to get people to read you know, 300 and 400 page books. So trying to get to the nugget of what really makes sense here uh, and be practical. As part of that process, uh, even though there were a lot of very diverse perspectives, as you can imagine, on large-scale change, uh, there were a number of themes that started to uh, emerge, part of which are reflected in uh, at least my definition. Uh, Everybody may have their own, but I'm happy to share uh, the definition that I came up with. And the way I tend to think about transformational change is really about completely rethinking and repositioning, if you will, the what, how, why, who, when, and where associated with dramatically improving some things. Uh, And the things that we're trying Mm. to dramatically improve usually center around uh, the effectiveness, the happiness, the health, and or the survival of someone or something. And I think there's a few uh, things I'd like to underscore related to the definition, maybe for the benefit of the audience that may or may not have thought about this much before. And Mm -hmm. that is, uh, you know, usually when you're talking about large scale transformational change, it has to have some systemic elements to it. You know, a lot of different things are connected to one another. So it's fairly comprehensive in nature. Uh, It also tends to be fairly long-term in nature. In other words, Mm. sustained over a long period of time rather than a tweak that is temporary or short-term. And so if you can achieve that level of systemic nature and uh, changing a you know wide variety of things that are connected to each other and sustaining it over an extended period of time and not a tweak you uh, you start to get into the realm of of transformational change rather than uh, more short-term change and I, I think the last point I'd make about you know any definition that people might use uh, around this uh, sort of thing is being able to answer that question about have you really dramatically improved something as a result of the changes you've made? Because one of the the places we get stuck, 
I think, uh, is trying to understand the value of doing something differently versus mm. doing something better or in a more improved way. And I think a lot of people dive in and start turning a lot of dials and um, pulling a lot of switches all in the name of doing things differently, but they don't necessarily know whether they actually improved anything. Mm. This is really compelling because transformational change, you're right. It, it's, it's kind of about the sustainability of something and, and the long-term reach that I guess the, the change can have or the, the entity can have, whatever that is. Like if someone is making a transformational change in communication or organizational or talent development, let's say, I mean, those things when done right are probably taking a significant amount of time and change is different from transformational change because you can change anything, but it doesn't mean that it's going to be sustained or retained in any way within the organization. That's very interesting. Yeah, you said it very well. And, and it's really one of the most consistent learnings from across the book, despite the fact that we had you know contributions from a wide variety of different people who had different thoughts about it. The other thing, which I'll, I'll just offer to, to build on what we've been saying here, is there's a, a common misconception about large-scale transformational change. It's kind of a trap I think people often fall into. And that is that somehow or another, successful change is all about anticipation and preparation and being able to see around corners and mm -hmm. connect the dots, you know, between seemingly disconnected things. Somehow it's all, you know, readiness in advance of, you know, the need for change. And somehow all of that preparation seems more, uh, quote unquote, strategic. Now, it, it turns out there's a lot of examples, not only in the book, but also in life of that type of anticipatory change. And when it happens, it's great. But it also turns out that there are many more examples, not only in the book, but also in life of mm -hmm. um, change that was not anticipated at all, wasn't necessarily well thought out. We weren't really prepared for it. We didn't see it coming around the corner. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that relates to this that's in the book is uh, from Mike Tyson, the former heavyweight boxer. Mm. He was being interviewed uh, by a member of the media in advance of one of his heavyweight bouts and was asked the question, what's your strategy for the fight? And his response was, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And hmm. there are a lot of uh, examples in life, you know, at the individual level, at the team level, at the organizational level, uh, and certainly within societies, too, of not seeing something happen before it happens. You get punched in the mouth and you have to deal with it and adjust and respond. Probably the best example of this that everybody can relate to because we've been living it for the last two years is COVID. Most people mm -hmm. didn't see COVID coming. But uh, individuals and organizations had to uh, change their approach to things uh, literally overnight in order to uh, survive and, and even thrive in that type of uh, changing environment. And so uh, it's easy to get caught up in the idea that everything we do 
around change needs to be planned for and well thought out in advance. But the reality of the situation is things happen to us uh, and a lot of successful change is really more about how we respond to it when it happens uh, and how quickly we respond to it rather than seeing it coming in advance. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think you're definitely talking to the right group of people when it comes to uh, transformational change with COVID because I myself was uh, in the thick of it and I know a lot of my listeners were as well. Um, But this actually leads me to something that I think about often. And I think that we're aligned on this because um, once I, once I say it, I think you're going to be like, yep, yep, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and this is the notion that two things, actually multiple things can be true at once. And I say this as a preface, because one of the things that I think about often is that when HR leaders, business leaders are looking to affect transformational change, especially we see this a lot in culture. We see it a lot in DE&I. We see it with like, oh, when we, we think about it a lot when we talk about overhauling like companies, overhauling cultures, and really, again, having a transformational change ensue. And one of the things that always comes up, and I have been a part of teams where I used to be put into teams with broken cultures when I was still in at a store level. And now, you know, I'm in an environment where we're building culture. And I know from speaking with colleagues who are in HR and outside of HR, and even from messages that I get from listeners, that there's always this question of, well, how do we do this? How do we change or improve or build the culture that we want? because we have to do this and we have to do that. It's communication, it's employee relations, it's all of these um, issues that fall out from, you know, having maybe poor employee morale that needs to be fixed. It's, it's operational, um, you know, procedures and things that, that impact the way that people work. All of those things kind of happen all at the same time. And so I share this because I think about how two things, multiple things can be true at once. And it really kind of corresponds with this, this action that so many of us have had to take to build or transform cultures as an example, where you have to kind of do it all at once. And you can have really great retention and really poor employee morale. And so it doesn't matter which way we fold it. Multiple things can be true at once. It, you know, things are not always exclusive of one another. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, because I think that this was something that we had initially talked about. And I I feel like you might, you might be uh, on the same page here. Yeah, I I relate really well to what you were just saying, uh, including the fact that you know, there's a, a section of the, the book that I contributed, which deals directly with this point about uh, two things can be true at the same time, the need for reconciling competing priorities and mastering paradox. Uh, mm. In the book, I actually refer to it as the beauty of end, meaning that uh, there are multiple things that have to be addressed simultaneously, some of which actually seem to compete with one another, but it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. They, they still have to be addressed. And uh, there, there's seven of them I talk about in the book. We obviously don't have time to go through all of them here, but let me just give an example or, or maybe two to help your listeners you know, bring this home to something practical for them. Uh, one of the 
the paradoxes that needs to be mastered is facts and feelings. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, On the facts side, you know, most organizations and most leaders will rely on some combination of facts and data to uh, help persuade people that big change is necessary. And, um, you know, are facts and data valuable in doing that? Yes, uh, of course. But uh, here's something interesting about human beings. We have this almost limitless capacity to deny, deflect, or dismiss facts and data that do not reinforce our preferred view of the Mm. internal and external environment. So people, even with facts and data, uh, that doesn't necessarily move people to action because they have this remarkable uh, ability to, you know, deny uh, reality that they don't want to face. And um, therefore, the, the combination of dealing with facts, but also appealing to feelings uh, and sense of what's in your head and what's in your heart uh, is a really important, powerful combination. Uh, one example of this that, that I think most of us can r- relate to is, you know, we step on a scale and the facts are irrefutable. We're looking down at the scale and it's suggesting to us maybe we should lose some weight. Mm-hmm. Now, most people know that the way to lose weight most successfully and most sustainably is some change in a combination of diet and exercise. But if all you do is keep staring down at the scale, the data is constantly telling you as you're looking at it, uh, you need to change, you need to change. And in this case, that means we think we need to lose some weight. But if all you do is stare at the data, uh, but your head and your heart don't tell you that you're going to be motivated enough to diet uh, and to exercise the way you should, uh, your weight's not going to change. And organizations, and I think a lot of leaders too, uh, have this tendency to keep shoving the data in people's face to try to prove the need for change, but they're also not successful at the same time in appealing to the head and the heart and motivating people to actually take the action required to address the data. So that's a perfect example of at least one version of competing priorities that somehow or another uh, effective leaders of large scale transformational change do a good job of of reconciling and ineffective or less effective leaders don't do a particularly good job of reconciling. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shoutouts and kudos, employee introductions, and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. 
Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes, so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Right. This is uh, really interesting. I uh, First of all, I totally agree. I think that the analogy is really well-placed. And it made me think about some of the reasons why change fails or why transformational change fails. And I guess my my question here is like, what are some of the things that are pitfalls when it comes to change or transformational change, either or? And what can what can the listeners, what can HR folks or even non-HR folks who might be listening do to prepare for some of the potential pitfalls and failures that could come along with this process? And what can they do to ensure a better rate of success, if anything? Yeah, well, certainly there's a lot that can go wrong, you know, if you don't pay adequate attention to it. So Mm -hmm. let me first share some examples uh, and they'll just be some examples from, uh, you know, a longer list of things that can go wrong. But then we can also get into, if you want, some examples of uh, the things that really do seem to to help yeah, uh, for sure. move things along successfully. So, you know, I think one of the big pitfalls is that uh, we we constantly encounter resistance. And mm. one of the things I like to describe to people is the importance of loving both uh, the influencers and the resistors in the organization. Uh, And here's what I mean by that. You Mm -hmm. know, most of us tend to gravitate toward people who think like us and do reinforce, you know, our belief in the need for change. So we seek out people in in, in the organization who we think are going to be supporters and who we feel confident we can turn to and who we trust to help lead and implement whatever the change is that we're trying to drive. And that's a you know very logical strategy, of course, to mm-hmm. use. But the place where we're, we're not as logical is we tend to marginalize or criticize or push aside or worse, uh, you know, fire and get rid of at times people who we've determined are resistors and not necessarily on board. Well, it turns out a lot of those people who are quote unquote resistors really are more skeptical and have a lot of questions about what we're being asked to do and why we're being asked to do it. And a lot of those questions are actually very valid. In other words, they're hard questions to answer, but the more effectively we answer them, the higher the chance of getting over some obstacles and successfully implementing the change that we're talking about. So moral of the story is, you know, if you're three years into a large change and you're still dealing with a lot of people who are resisting and undermining and not cooperating, uh, okay, you know, it's probably time to, you know, move some of those people out of the organization. But quite often those people are identified in the first 10 minutes of the change uh, and somebody determines that it's time to move them out and get rid of them. And in reality, you're undermining yourself because those people can be extraordinarily 
powerful and useful right. and helpful in, uh, in, in identifying things that are broken that needs to be, uh, needs to be fixed. The other corollary to this is that uh, I'm fond of telling people when you're thinking about uh, influencers and resistors, you know, people who are likely to persuade people that the change makes sense, as well as people who are pushing back against it, you, you kind of have to ignore the org chart because it turns out that a number of those people who are highly influential, as well as a number of the people who may be resistors, uh, you know, they're not in leadership positions. They may not show up, obviously, on an org chart. They may be buried mm -hmm. nine layers down in the organization, yet they have a lot of credibility and influence because they're highly technically skilled or they're great with customers or they really understand the product or they've been part of the organization for a really long time and therefore have a lot of credibility and are trusted. And you really need to figure out who those people are and you know, bring them into the fold in terms of uh, helping, to, helping them understand what we're trying to achieve with the change, but also allowing them to express the concerns and pushback that they have uh, because that pushback and those kinds of questions that they're going to raise uh, are really going to keep you out of trouble if you successfully address them uh, early enough in the, the, the process. The only other thing I'll mention is as an example of, you know, common pitfalls is something I, I briefly referred to a few minutes ago, but I want to underscore it, mm -hmm. which is to try to avoid the confusion of diff doing things differently versus improving them because mm. difference and improvement are not the same thing. So yeah. this, this, is, this is a very common problem, particularly when you have a new leader coming into the organization from somewhere else, you know, where the, the new sheriff in town philosophy takes over. I'm going to demonstrate to everybody that, you know, I'm the new sheriff in town and I'm in charge and I'm the new leader. And therefore I'm going to change, you know, almost everything and everyone that came before me and uh, that can actually be a, a very dangerous and not particularly productive thing because you might do a lot of things differently as a result of those changes, but you have no idea whether uh, most of those uh, changes are actually representative of improvement. And if you change 100 things at the same time, it's also really difficult to isolate which one or two made the biggest difference versus the other 98 that represented doing things differently, but didn't actually improve and may have actually undermined uh, your objectives mm -hmm. to try to uh, change something for the better. You know, I guess it kind of, it feels intuitive, right? Like thinking about how differences and improvements are not the same. And as you were saying this, for anyone that's not watching, I'm like nodding my head the whole time, basically, because immediately I did think about that example that you'd shared, you know, where someone new comes in and they know everything and they think their way is right without even figuring out what already exists. And maybe that that way is al already right. Um, but the other thing that it made me think about was DE&I. Because, <clears throat> excuse me, I think that there are there are approaches that some thought leaders, companies have shared that they've taken that don't focus on making sustained improvements, but rather focus on just doing something differently than they used to. Now, 
it's not to say that companies that don't have DEI programs are 100% wrong or 100% right. I'm not making one, you know, a, a, a point on that one way or another. But I think, you know, before 2020, it was not so common to have a separate program or a separate seat at the table for DEI. And I think in 2020 and 2021, looking at that, looking at that reality, if you asked anyone in that moment, you were wrong. It was it was not the right thing if you didn't make room for that seat. Now, it's that's, again, not saying room for the program, because obviously everyone needs to focus on DE&I, whether you have a headcount to hire someone specifically for the role or not. That's not the point. The point that I'm trying to make is that whether a company has already implemented things that do what other companies have yet to do, like have these DEI initiatives, for example, whether they have that seat at the table or not, as an example, isn't actually the point. It's what they're doing with that. And so I guess I'm just formulating my thought process now as I'm saying this out loud, because as I say that, I'm like, wait, this makes even more sense that when companies go to immediately react, this makes me think about what you said in the beginning, that change and transformational change are two different things. And transformational change is like the sustained effort. It's like running the marathon versus change is just the sprint or just the first, you know, quarter of a mile. And you can see today, I've been talking a lot about DE&I on the podcast recently, which by the time this episode is out, it it might be uh, sequential. I'm not 100% sure. But really, the point that I've been making when talking about DE&I is that there was this immediate effort from so many, especially large companies, but so many companies, hopefully every company, to focus on DEI. But then today, in 2023, we're seldom hearing about DEI. At least that's the perspective and the perception that I have. And so it does kind of point to this notion of change versus transformational change. Yeah, I totally agree with everything you said. And I want to connect the dots between the the emphasis that you were just placing on on DEI with something you mentioned a couple of times earlier in our conversation, which is the importance of communication. Uh, And here's the connection as it relates to leading transformational change. You know, there's really no point in making your organization more diverse or creating more of a sense of equity or an inclusion if you don't actually listen to and benefit from the diverse perspectives that you're trying to bring into the organization. And Mm. the reason why this is such an important connection to the point about communication and the point we were talking about earlier about sustaining change over the long term is, you know, most people will tell you and they're right, Communication, communication, communication is really important as part of leading transformational change, and it, and it certainly is. But usually what they mean by communication is talk, 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 tell, tell, tell. You know, I, as the leader, stand up and give this compelling argument and create this long-term vision for why uh, big change is really important. And, you know, do leaders need to talk and do they need to tell and do they need to share their vision? Absolutely. But what they need to do even more 
is listen, listen, and listen some more, mm-hmm. you know, get the benefit of the perspective and the feedback from diverse people who have diverse points of view and are representing, you know, multiple layers of the organization and multiple functions across the organization and multiple geographies. Because usually, you know, the deeper you go into the, to an organization and the more you listen, uh, you'll get a much clearer picture, if you're a leader especially, a much mm-hmm. clearer picture of what customers need, what's, ex- what's happening in the external environment, what are some of the obstacles and issues that are getting in the way of people uh, performing their jobs as effectively as possible. If you're a leader spending 90% of your time making compelling speeches about the need for change, you're not going to get the benefit of any of that diverse perspective because you're spending more time talking than listening. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the DEI efforts that, that you're referring to, Tracy, that, you know, many organizations have been at for a long time, but many other organizations are just getting started with, uh, there, there's an importance of putting DEI initiatives in, in place for sure, but there's no point in making your organization more diverse unless you also have the capability to make it more inclusive by listening and getting the perspective and the ideas and the input uh, of the people that you're bringing into the organization. And therefore, listening a lot more than talking is always a good principle as a leader. And it's even more important as a principle if you're trying to lead large-scale transformational change. Amen. I thought that was absolutely right on the nose. That it's such a good point. And I'm reflecting on a time where I was in a, a meeting in the past where someone just loved having the mic and would not without and like literally just without a doubt would I could have put money on it would never cease to speak after every single person. And I remember back when this, like, I remember it was like kind of at the end of my wit, you know, I was like totally done. I'm like, why is this person just not leaving room for other voices? It is enough. It's infuriating. But the reality is, is that everyone kind of needs to feel this uh, frustrated if we're not hearing or listening to other voices. I mean, it's really a a very good point. And I've shared this on the podcast too, that one of the best ways that we can grow as individuals and to get to know not only ourselves, but other people better is by inviting those who have different backgrounds, different opinions, different ideas to the table and actually giving them space. And so what I thought was so well said about what you just shared is that without creating the space or as many call it psychological safety, like creating that environment, you might as well not have a DE&I effort because until you make that space and you clear a seat, multiple seats at the table for others to share in the, in the discourse, you're literally working against what you're saying you're working for. Yes. And it actually takes us back to Uh, almost in a complete loop to uh, several things we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation on the importance of starting with 
truth and defining reality rather than having people dismiss the the data that doesn't fit you know with their preferred view because it turns out one of the most fundamental weaknesses of people and organizations that don't lead change well and one of the most fundamental strengths of people and organizations that do lead change well uh, all comes back to the same place which is the ability and the willingness to deal with reality the situation is what it is we are where we are you know both as an individual standing on the scale thinking about losing weight as well as uh, an organization or team that knows it needs to get better at something but until you get to the point of realizing and then accepting something needs to be done not just differently but better Mm -hmm. Uh, it's very unlikely that you'll take the tough actions because they are tough actions required to make the change but more importantly make uh, the improvements that have to be implemented in order to get some traction so you know if somebody were to say to me hey you know what's a what's a single most important capability or action that you know I as an individual whether I'm in a leadership role or not can take to help drive successful change I would say you know go seek out the truth and mm-hmm. make sure that other people see the truth and the reality of what the organization is confronting because until everybody sees the reality it's much less likely that they're willing to take collective action to address it. Ian, you have blown my mind on this episode and I really I really appreciate the thought that you're that you've put into this topic and what you've shared with us today because it really like my mind is I'm going to have to reflect on this. I've said this a number of times this week throughout many recordings and I'm just so grateful for this podcast, for the opportunity to talk to folks like yourself, where I can alone, like as an individual, expand my understanding and and knowledge base, but also be able to share this with listeners and for them to, to kind of walk away, hopefully feeling the same way that, gosh, there's so much opportunity. There's so much opportunity to make transformational changes at our organizations and to do it with the right behaviors and to focus on bringing like humans and human centrism to the forefront of even the most operational elements of business like change, change management and transformational change. And I just really, really appreciate all of your insight and and your thoughts on this. Well, my pleasure to be with you and, and get the opportunity to share some of the things that we learned in putting this book together. I think we're all on a a learning journey here and nobody has the corner on all the expertise of what it takes to do this well. But uh, we had the opportunity to listen to and learn from a lot of uh, experts as well as people who gave it a shot and stumbled and made some mistakes along the way. And there's equally good learning from the experts as well as the people who struggled uh, because we're all dealing every day in our own lives as individuals or team members or a part of an organization or even communities uh, with right. a lot of big 
change that's tough. So I appreciate the, the chance to share what I've learned with, with you and your listeners. Yes, thank you. Or as the kids would say, thanks for not gatekeeping this information and for letting us have access to it, which leads me to my final question for you. Where can all of the listeners get your book and learn more about you and possibly connect? Yeah, thanks for asking about that. Maybe the best one-stop shop is special um, book-related website that we've set up, which is www.transformationalchangebook.com where people can go not only to order the book if they're interested, but uh, see some chapter summaries, learn a little bit more about uh, the contributing authors as well as myself and be in touch with us if they have questions or things that they'd like to discuss further about it. Amazing. Thank you so much. I will make sure that all of those links or that link is linked in the show notes and I'll include your LinkedIn as well. Um, since I, I do have that too. Um, but again, I really, really appreciate you joining the podcast and thank you so much for walking us through how we can lead transformational change as well. Thanks for having me, Tracy. Great to be with you. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.